Church, how are you doing today? My, 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 no revelation sermon today. What do you think about that, huh? Yeah, yeah, buddy, uh-huh, no revelation sermon today. Well, some things are better off left alone. Uh, surprise, surprise, we're not having Brother Kevin today, and you sure don't get Brother Nick. You stuck with me today. Uh, I will put my timepiece down. It's 11.07 now. I'll try to be through uh, no longer than 1.07 today, okay? Be very honest with you. No problem there. Uh, one question. And that last song is talked about Jesus is my life. Can you really search your heart this morning and say that Jesus is my life? Think about that today, okay? I'm afraid there's some here today that may not be able to say that. It is a privilege and it is an honor to be with you guys today. I don't get to stand up here much. I get to teach some in the back here once in a while. It's been a long time since I've got to stand up here in front of the whole congregation. But I feel it's a pleasure, it's an honor to be able to share just a little bit of God's word with you today. We're going to be coming from Jeremiah chapter 1. We're going to start with verses 4. And we will probably go through long about verse 10. This, then we'll tie in our sermon or our message with that today. As Brother Kevin and Brother Nick says, when you get there, say amen. amen. If you don't, don't holler on me because we're going on anyhow. This is the call of Jeremiah. God has called Jeremiah into the ministry. So here we go. Verse 4. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Oh, Lord God, behold, I'm... I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But listen to what God said. But, God, but the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. He didn't say you can go or you might go. He says you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then look what happens. Verse 9. Then the Lord put his hand and touched. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See that I set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow to build and to plant. Brother Tommy Lee, will you lead us for a prayer, please?
Starting out in verse 4 this morning, I want you to understand one thing. God is completely sovereign. God is completely sovereign. He knows all things. He knows everything before it happens. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. He's the mighty creator. He knows everything. Let's move on down to verse, also in verse 4, it talks about the word of the Lord coming to me, talking about coming to Jeremiah. God has now called Jeremiah to preach and to write about all of Judea's sins and its consequences. He was called. He was ordained. He was anointed. He was appointed. God knew Jeremiah before he was ever formed in his mother's womb. I'm not going into the predestined part of this, but God knows each and every one of us before we are ever born. He has a purpose for us in our lives. We are, his, we are of his calling. These should have been encouraging words to Jeremiah, just as they should be encouraging to us today when God puts it on our heart to do something. We should always let God lead. Verse 6 is through 8, Jeremiah responds. He says he don't know how to speak, that he's only a young man. However, God tells him, you're my ambassador. You belong to me. You represent me. You're going to do what I ask you to do. The President of the United States has ambassadors and people that are working under him and work for him. They do what he wants done. They do what he asks to be done. As an ambassador to Christ, as an ambassador to God, when God tells us to do something, we're to do that. Verses 9 and 10, God touches Jeremiah's mouth. And by touching Jeremiah's mouth, he puts his words in, in, into Jeremiah's soul, into his very heart, into his very being, to where he is able to carry out God's will of preaching and teaching and carrying it out to other nations. Let's go on a little further. Over in uh, verse 9 and 10, also he talks about Jeremiah's messages to pluck up and to break down. Simply put, he is to preach against sin. He's also to destroy and overthrow. He's to preach messages concerning judgment. He's not to be, he is not to be easygoing with the message. He is to be stern. He is to tell them like it is, like God wants him to, uh, like God wants him to, to speak it. Last but not least, God tells him to uh, build and plant. In other words, He's telling him to preach about hope and to restore a relationship with God that the nation of Israel once had. This all brings into remembrance to me of a. Uh, Small sermon or small teaching that we were gave way back in 2010. Thank you, brother. The message we received from Brother Kevin uh, 10 years ago, almost to today, I think it was yesterday, 10th year anniversary. Uh, surprise, surprise, brother. This is uh, what it's all about today. Uh, it's not about glorifying Kevin as a man. It's about glorifying God as a man of God today. Uh, we want to celebrate. 
with Kevin today and Chastity, we have never had a pastor at Wales Baptist Church stay for 10 consecutive years. So we are at a milestone. And I'm not saying a millstone to hang around his neck and drown him with either. I'm talking about a milestone. But let me give you one example of one of the teachings that he gave to us. Part of his vision for the church whenever he first accepted the pastorship. It says we need to teach our leaders how important their role is. And how to continually better themselves in their role. Now the reason I brought you to the book of Jeremiah this morning. This suits Kevin to a T. Just exactly what Jeremiah was told by God. Let me throw this in for a freebie this morning. I remember Kevin in one of his testimonies talking about when God, whenever he finally realized God was to the point of possibly not dealing with him anymore, how he curled up in the corner of a bedroom and cried. That was God working on him. That was God putting his word to his mouth, into his heart, into his lips. Let me go on a little further. He says, our teachers need to see themselves as the many pastors that they are. God has given them the gift to see the need that needs to be taught to a particular group of people he has placed with them. Teachers should not depend on resources, and I agree 100%, should not depend on resources like Lifeway to teach their class every week. They should consider their hearts. They consider their struggles in each individual, in each individual student's life, and then go to God and seek after his vision for their class. Then the teacher will have to establish goals and seek help in finding resources to help them accomplish these goals. This is an ongoing process. We've seen that. We see that every week. We see that every day in our church. Every ministry leader needs a vision. The worship leader needs to evaluate the hearts of the people during worship and seek out new ways to better express the greatness of God to inspire the people to not just sing a song, but sing to God. And I could go on and on and on with what Brother Kevin talked about. It says we should meet the people's physical needs as their uh, position was established for in the book of Acts, talking about servants and teachers. The teachers need to get more serious about teaching their students. It's okay to get an outside speaker from time to time, but God didn't call an outside speaker to teach our flock. He called you, me, you, to teach them and be personal with them. What does it mean to be personal? Get to know one another. Depend on one another. Have a prayer partner. The process continues as we grow in our faith. There's also work involved with serving God, especially in leadership positions. He gives us examples in James 3, 1, Romans 12, 1, Mark 8, 37, uh, 34 and 37. 
It is a higher calling with a higher expectation. Every leader must find a vision and set goals to work toward it. Proverbs 29, verse 18 says, No vision, and the people perish. How very true. Leaders find the vision. They write it down. They plainly execute it. Without it, we will keep making the same mistakes over and over again, and the people will continue to perish. That was just one example of some of the things that Brother Kevin has brought to the table, has brought to us as well as Baptist Church. As we celebrate this day, I don't want us to sit him and or chastity up on a pedestal, but I want us to show compassion. I want us to show love to him for his continued service. Wow, does he ever show compassion? Does he ever show um, spiritual wisdom to us? He helps us to understand more and more of the life that we should be living for Christ. He guides us in everything. Uh, he, he, guided, he came with a vision of us being debt-free of some $300,000 whenever he first came. And I believe it was two and a half years with y'all working together. That was accomplished. He helped, he helped uh, bring a, a vision for mission teams into being for our church, as we'll find out later today. Uh, God's used him to help restructure a lot of our Sunday school activities, our better Sunday school classes. We have better Sunday school classes today through his guidance, through him letting God lead him. Through Kevin, we've been taught sound doctrine. Through the Holy Spirit, we have been taught sound faith. We've been taught steadfastness. We've been taught the true meaning of what the Bible teaches. And today, Brother Kevin, I want you to know I love you and I appreciate you. I hope our church, each and every one here today, I hope they feel the same. We've Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, And though a man might prevail, prevail against one who is alone, Two will stand, two will stand with him. And Brother Nick brought us an example here a while back of a threefold cord and a marriage retreat where Christ is a sinner and two helpers, helpmates, husband and wife. But that also works in our church. You know, we also have a senior pastor, but we also have another person that's helped make these visions come true, Brother Nick. Brother, Brother Nick came to us as an associate pastor in 2012, I think. He accepted responsibilities. And without, the, without him accepting those responsibilities, a lot of Kevin's vision would not have happened. A lot of God's purpose through Kevin would not have happened because it, sometimes it takes two to bear the load. Brother Nick, Sister Amanda, appreciate y'all.
love you to death. You know, Brother Nick took on several responsibilities to help lift the load off of Brother Kevin, and we appreciate that, from Juanas to marriage counseling to marriage treats. He's, uh, he's really, really helped better our church along with Brother Kevin. But there's one more thing. Brother Ronnie, brother, we love you, man. Appreciate you. Don't remember exactly what year you came. I think it was, uh, Boo was six years old, maybe? Savannah, okay. Oh, okay, that's been 15 years ago, 2002, three, something like that. Yeah, he was counting. Anyhow, God saw fit to send Brother Ronnie and Letha with us, and, uh, they were approached about helping with the youth. And you know what? <laughs> the youth program ain't been the same since. God has really blessed them. And I thank you for that, Brother Ronnie. Because, you know, it takes a team. It, it takes a team. Yes, one man might be able to guide a small church, a smaller church. We're a small church. One person may may help guide and, and, and shepherd a small church, small congregation. But we have a medium-sized congregation. We have many needs that have to be taken care of. We have many situations that have to be addressed. We have youth that are hurting. We have young people that, that need guidance. And sometimes one man can't do that. So God seemed fit to send us extra two people to go along with that. Chastity, Amanda, Letha, love y'all. Appreciate y'all. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, I still got two hours, so I got to <laughs> slow down a little bit. Huh? Got to hurry up? Sure said hurry up. Uh, <laughs> In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, I promise I won't be about five more minutes. The Lord God saw it was uh, not good for man to be alone. And he said, I'll give you a helper fit for him. Thank you all for being that help meet. It takes a uh, team like that. It takes both husband and wife. Thank you all. Ladies, God chose you all and made you all as helpers for the men. Thank you all for standing beside them being part of that team. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Ralph. Appreciate it. All right, one last point. Let's talk about the definition of a team. A team is two or more people, two or more people that are, that have come together to achieve a common goal. I got one more scripture I want to talk, read you. I promise you, Shirley, I'll sit down. She's rushing me on like we ain't got no tomorrow. <clears throat> Luke chapter Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. I want to read to you, then, then I'll, I'll sit down and let. There ain't nobody else up here. So I still got time. It says, and as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. He's talking to Jesus. So Jesus replied, and he said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me, but he said, 
Lord, let me go first to bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as you go, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, if any of you in here has ever worked a team of mules, and if any of you have ever tried to turn ground with an old-fashioned one-horse turning plow, you know what I'm talking about. That person leading that plow is going to tell that team of mules, yeah, haw. And those words help keep those mules and helps keep that row straight, whether they're turning ground or whether they're using a scratcher to dress the plants. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce you to our team right now, Brother Ronnie, Brother Kevin, and Brother Nick. There we go. Hey, man, hallelujah. We love y'all. Thank y'all. Appreciate you. Y'all have a blessed day. I had to get them somehow or another. Thank y'all. May God bless y'all. I'm going to turn it over to Brother Chris Purcell right now. That was a pretty good picture, wasn't it? I'd like to ask all the pastors and their wives to come up here and have a seat. Yeah, y'all give them a round of applause. So, welcome to Family Feud Wales Edition. We're going to have a little Q&A session. We surveyed the crowd. We really didn't. We, uh, we appreciate each and every one of y'all. Y'all all mean the world to me, to my family, and I know to everybody out here. Uh, let's grab them some mics. No beatboxing, Ronnie. So, we have a few questions. We're going to interrogate you a little bit. First truthful question. This is a question for everybody. I want serious, honest answers. Truthful, right? What was your first vehicle? First vehicle. Speaking. I thought it was going to be hard stuff. My first vehicle personally, 72, 71, forward pickup, three-speed on the tree, 302, four-barrel. Next. Mine was a red S10. 95. 95. 
Next. 1995 Alabama decked out Pontiac Fiber with T-tops. Oh, okay. <laughs> 1983 <laughs> rainbow colored uh, Chevrolet truck. I don't know the year, but it was a four-door diesel mud brown rabbit with a crank sunroof. <laughs> Anybody ever seen a crank sunroof? <laughs> Um, mine was a 71 Pontiac Le Mans. That's what I'm talking about. All right, a little more serious question. That was just an icebreaker question, just to get y'all talking. Nobody wants to throw up anymore. We're good now. Who has been your spiritual hero in your life? The, just You could pick one out of the bunch. Who, is, who has been that? that one that you always go back to? For me? Kevin Wells. <laughs> I would say mine was my grandmother. Mine was daddy as long as Kevin wasn't on my nerves. <laughs> but when me and Kevin are on good terms, it's definitely him. Um... Mine was um, probably the the people of the old church first, the the people that supported me and loved me, um, helping me grow, and then of course um, uh, John Piper is of course the the one that I've learned so much from over the years. So the first thing that comes to my mind is a neighbor that lived um, down the road from my parents. I wasn't saved young, but I always knew that she was a very spiritual, godly woman. Her name was Wilma Morrison. And then other than that, um, Miss Christine Morris has more than a handful of times spoken to me, and I truly felt I was having a conversation with the Lord. Kevin Wells. All right, so we all know that the Bible is the most important book in our life. We all stand on that. Has there been another book that you have read in your life that has influenced you more than any other book besides the Bible? Dave Ramsey. How many do you want? <laughs> uh, yeah. What's the first one you was going to mention? Well, the holiness of God, R.C. Sproul. Yeah. That's probably the That's a good one. The top. I don't do any reading outside of, so I would say the Bible, but I do remember not a fan opening my eyes. Only book I've ever read is the Bible. All right, 
The next questions are for the pastor's wives only. What do you think is the most, your most important responsibility as a pastor's wife? Most important responsibility. It's a big question. Right? What's the most important one? I would just say supporting him and praying for him. To be his helpmate. Encourager. And what is the one piece of advice that you would give to a new pastor's wife? Don't do it. I've had the privilege of speaking to some of the pastor's wives in Guatemala. Um, of course, Chris and Calista, they're always um, deeply embedded in the marriage counseling over there, and they do a phenomenal job. But occasionally, Kevin and I get to get, get along with the pastor's wives. And my first thing is just always love them. And it's hard to just trust that they know what they're doing because sometimes you feel isolated and alone. But if, if, you, if you trust that they're praying and seeking God, just support them and love them through it. I mean, I don't know. I think it's just um, to keep praying so that you can constantly just keep pouring. So keep praying so that you're constantly just loving and supporting and making sure they're going forward. It's good advice. All right, pastors, this one is just for you. What's the hardest part about pastoral ministry? People. <laughs> he was ready for that. He was ready. Did y'all see that? He was ready. They're the reason I resign every Monday. <laughs> uh, being able to be serious with somebody and, and tell them what they need to hear without pushing them to a place that they don't want to hear what you have to say. Um, probably learning to be long-suffering. And, and I don't mean that as an insult to people because I'm saying it in my own life too, but sanctification is not an overnight process. It's a lifelong process. And sometimes it seems like Yourself and even your people take two steps forward and 20 steps backwards. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And uh, so, um, so learning to, to just be long-suffering with people, learning how to, um, to just teach and to, and to keep being patient with them and to, to keep leading them right, whether, they, whether it seems like they haven't took a step in over a year, but just being patient and, and praying for them and leading them and guiding them, that, that long-suffering is... Um, it's probably one of the hardest things to learn. Being consistent. Uh, that's uh, being there, being the same, working on your stuff so you can help other stuff. It's hard to help anybody if your stuff's not together. Uh, that's, the, that's the thing. All right. So each of you have been 
in ministry for many years combined, many years by yourself, knowing what you know right this minute, what would you say to yourself when you first started ministry? Buckle up, it's crazier than you think. <laughs> you know, when I first started, I really thought <clears throat> this was going to be a, um, a short-term deal. I mean, I, I just, I don't know why I thought that, but I always thought that it would, se- it would go by fast and you would seem, it would seem to be a short, short-term deal. I didn't realize and I didn't understand the importance of slow down and take it one thing at a time. When I first started, I, I thought I had to do everything in a hurry because it was going to be not short as in it was only going to last a couple of years, but short as in life is short. So when I started, I wanted to cover everything the first week um, and get everything right the first month. Um, but today, I would tell myself, slow down. Slow down. It's a process. It's not an overnight story. You've heard me say before that if I could go back... Um, and delete everything. If Nathan would let me go back and delete everything I've preached and done from about five years ago all the way back, I would. And um, I, I think um, I think I would tell my younger self to um, probably not jump into this thing so fast and get a good Christian education. Um, I'm not saying you have to have a seminary degree to be a preacher, but I, am, I have learned over the years that um, Christian education is very, very important. And um, so I would definitely tell myself you'll make a lot fewer mistakes if you are ready as far as knowledge goes before you get into this thing of leading and guiding people because doctrine, doctrine matters. You know, uh, the the thing that I love about being a youth pastor is studying the Word, learning the Word, learning how that affects different youth. Um, and I don't know that I would have done anything, I'd have studied more if I'd have done anything different or, or, or I would have told myself any different because that's what we do is we and thank the Lord for calling me in the youth ministry because I had to have something to make me study the Bible uh, and that that's that made me grow closer to the Lord and I you know like I said I, I would just study more I'd just study more y'all taking notes out there All right, these questions, we're going back to the wives again. This could be comical. What was the first thought in your mind when your husband said, I'm thinking about going into ministry? really remember what my first thought was to be honest I do. Oh, no. 
I think God revealed it to me um, and Chris and Calista and Letha and Ronnie and uh, my parents. Um, we were praying and fasting because we felt, and even Brother Nick, he even spoke it from the pulpit and when he was doing his resignation that he felt like God was leading the next man here. Um, he didn't say Kevin, but he said he felt like that God was preparing somebody in this in our midst and I didn't know what he meant at the time until we had to um, endure a very grueling adoption where the mother had changed her mind and we had the baby for several months and we had to in the process we had to learn to love deep and because we fell in love with her before we fell in love with the baby. And Sister Frances was with us, and Chris and Callista and Mom and them. Went on, we went through the whole process, but they were there when the mother changed her mind. And all the way home, we were like, what are we going to do? Because while we were gone, Kevin was worship leader, and someone else had filled that role. So when we come home, we had nowhere to serve, literally nowhere to serve in this church. And we felt isolated and alone because we just went through a, a time of our lives that was very, very hard, and it was a struggle, and it was something that we had prayed about for many, many years. We always wanted a family, and we prayed about it, and it all lined up with God's Word. And my mother, the baby was born on her birthday. I mean, if you looked at the prayers, you would have said, God lined all this up. This was exactly what he, he needed for our, for our lives. And this baby was a, a beautiful child, and we did fall in love with his mother, but um, in that whole process, I think God was confirming to me that our next role was in this church as pastorship. But we didn't understand that. We didn't know. We just knew that there was a pain there. And when we come home, we had nothing to do. And so the first thing we done was started cleaning the church because Sister Sue had, um, had knee surgery. And we were delighted to clean the bathrooms. I mean, that was the only thing that we really hadn't done besides pastoring was cleaning, and we loved it. I mean, we came out here, and we scrubbed the floors, and we cleaned, and we had a good time with it, but it, ca it taught us humility, and we went through that failed adoption, not for anybody to feel um, sorry for us. Uh, we went through all of that because it had to teach us humility, and it had to knock down walls and pride, and it had to teach us to love deep, because you're going to hurt deep in ministry. And we've seen through the years some of the, some of the people that we love the most turn their backs on Jesus. And, I mean, you could say they turn their backs on us as a family, as a team up here, because they disappear, and they're, they're nowhere to be found. But they turn their backs on Jesus. But when they're like your brother and your sister, when they're like Amanda and Nick to me, Letha and Ronnie, and they walk out that doors, it affects something it affects the body of Christ and that's what I learned in all this and I didn't even mean to talk but I mean I feel like that needs to be said if you turn your back on somebody in this church shame on you you're turning your back on Christ they're your family and I know that we did all we went through every pain and every hurdle we've ever went through because God had this role in this place in mind for us he had that little boy he was predestined all this with that little boy because we couldn't have fought for that little boy. 
like we needed to if we didn't go through the hurt of that failed adoption and the, the pain in ministry. But if I had to go back 20 years ago and do it all up again, I would do it all because I love Jesus. So, I just remember that this church was looking for a youth minister, and Ronnie was working so hard to try to help him, and he was, like, interviewing people and talking to Brother David, like, I'm going to go talk to this guy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get him, he's a great youth pastor, I'm going to go set this up, and, and he would go out to eat here, and they were like, dude, I think it's you. And Ronnie was like, no, man, I'm going to find him. And so he was, so he like kept talking to people and interviewing people. And I mean, I'm sure we had discussions about it. I was just like watching him go track this man down. And, um, but it was very much like um, when we, you know, we weren't saved and when we had Savannah, it was like one day Ronnie came to me and said, hey, we got kids. We got to go to church. And I was like, let's go. And I don't even know how that happened. It was just the Lord the whole time. But so then we here we are years later, and Ronnie's trying to track down this youth pastor. And, and we're on the back row. The, this church is sending a mission team to Mexico. And we're on the back row, and people are like, the Lord's called me to go to Mexico. And all these people are at the altar, and Ronnie's like, I'm the youth pastor. And I was like, let's go. So we're up here at the altar, and people are like, you're going to Mexico. And I'm like, no. But, I mean, he's like, hey, this is what we're going to do. And I'm like, let's go. Yeah. It was not Mexico, and it has lasted much longer. <laughs> All right, one more question for the wives. This one, uh, you can say pass if you want to, or you can share if you want to, or you might turn red in the face again. What has been the most embarrassing moment during your time, your husband's time of preaching or teaching? Which one you want? Pick that one that pops in your mind first. Can I do Kevin's? <laughs> <laughs> There was a Sunday, she just reminded me of it, that <laughs> Nick preached the whole service and his pants were unzipped. <laughs> and we couldn't get his attention. <laughs> I just thought they were enjoying the message. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Oh, my goodness. Oh. There were so many. But the time that we were piped out on Easter morning and caught, Kevin was talking about Job sitting on his ash, ash yes. heap, but he right. didn't say yes. ash, and Savannah Lee hit the floor laughing, and uh. Kevin had to shut the message down. It was over. Right. I mean, it's every day with this guy. <laughs> 
So I can't pick. Uh, all of you youth probably have four. I mean, it's it's every day. It's it's youth. <laughs> it's every day. I don't have one. So in order to teach and preach, you've got to be in the Word. You've got to be in the Word. What are, what are some uh, strategies that you can share with everybody out here? How do you stay consistent in your prayer and in your Bible study? <clears throat> I got taught uh, a long time ago. God himself taught me that I'm not capable of anything that I do. Um, I, I used to keep notes like Kevin does. I used to come in with three or four legal pad, yellow legal pad pages of notes. Um, and one Sunday I got up to preach. And honest to goodness, and uh, you can believe it or not, it doesn't really matter. You not believing it don't make it untrue. Um, I got up to preach, and my legal pad of notes looked like it was written in a different language. I couldn't read none of it. I didn't have any idea what it said. <clears throat> and God changed the message, and I preached something different. Um, and, and I learned that it doesn't matter how much time I spend, no matter how many notes I take, I've got to do what God says do, and I've got to say what God says, God says to say. Now, that doesn't mean I quit studying at that point. What it does mean is that I figured out that about one day out of the word and I'm in trouble. Somebody's going to call. Somebody's, Kevin's going to call and say, hey, can you cover me Sunday? And I'm going to be standing there going, uh. So my motivation to constantly stay in the word and stay prayed up, studied up, and ready to go is the scripture that tells us to be ready in season and out of season. Because in and of myself... I'll fail every time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with any of that. I would, I would say that uh, just recognizing how insufficient you are um, in not just the ministry but in the Christian walk. I mean, you don't have to, you won't go a single day if you're trying to follow the Lord without realizing how insufficient you are to follow Him. And so um, I think that uh, recognizing recognizing your own sinfulness and tendency to sinfulness is um is a great motivation for for prayer and for uh for study and of course in the ministry as nick said it's about um always being ready always being pre prepared and so um i think that um that is definitely an extra motivation that keeps us um in the word more so probably than most um everyday christians i guess you could say You know, I read the Word every day, some sort, some fashion. And I think if, it, you know, it's like I tell the youth, it's like a relationship. How many times do you talk to your best friend today? How many times do you text your best friend today? How much communication do you have with your best friend? And that's, you need more than that for the Lord. I mean, your relationship with the Lord is a lot more important than your friends. And, and the only way I can get closer to the Lord is reading his word. And I do that every morning 
uh, before I go to work, I read scriptures, and I usually do some at night, usually do some TV ministry at night, or, you know, I, that's the key. It's that relationship with the Lord and making that firm. How much do you need to talk to, to somebody to have a relationship with them? So we all know that ministry has its ups and downs. It has its suffering. We also know that the Bible teaches us that there's joy in suffering. So with that being all said, what has been the biggest joy in your ministry? The biggest joy in your ministry? Let me go first. The fruit. The fruit. Seen a ton of fruit. Uh, from from the ministry here with the youth, seen a ton of fruit. A lot of lot of uh, youth ministers, worship leaders. This come out of our youth group. Uh, just the fruit, man. Makes you push your chest out a little bit. Probably shouldn't. I had an answer for this, so I was probably supposed to skip to Kevin, but. I learn. I mean, I learn something from every youth that comes through that helps me, um, and they're all so different, and the Lord speaks to them so differently. But the youth, y'all are gonna laugh, that I learned the most full, most from to just keep doing this is Jelly Roll. And if y'all were here, we baptized him five times. <laughs> Error of the week. <laughs> and you just keep praying that it it's going to stick and this kid's going to do something awesome for the Lord. And, you know, people are looking at us like we're crazy because these people keep baptizing this kid and he's jumping in the baptistry. And But, you know, you just keep you just keep ministering to each kid differently because they're all so different. And you just when it sticks, you're like, yes, Lord. Let me say one other thing. Dealing with Jelly Roll. <laughs> we were going to the beach, and we had been going for a few years, and uh, I called my buddy, and I said, hey, man, that's when we were running about 40, 45 youth. And I told Kevin, I said, I can't take Jelly Roll. I can't, I can't take your 45 youth and Jelly Roll. <laughs> and Kevin said, I'll go, and I'll watch Jelly Roll. This is true. That's when it clicked with Jelly Roll. That trip is when Jelly Roll got saved. Been up to me. There's no way I could have done it. Kevin said, I'll go. He's mine, not yours. And I said, hallelujah. He come home, and he said, chastity? We have now got a son. I said, hey, what are you talking about? He said, Jelly Roll. I was like, oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, the greatest joy in ministry, and this is going to sound like a cliche answer, but it, it's, a, it's a true answer. The, the greatest joy is just the honor of knowing that God has called you to come along beside of him and join him in his work. Um, you know, the fruit, 
And I don't disagree with Ronnie at all. The fruit is fantastic. But you know, you don't always see fruit. Oh, amen. There's, there's seasons to where you wonder, is God doing anything? <laughs> is God doing anything in my life? I mean, there, there are seasons that are just not a lot of fruit that you see. And so just the joy of knowing that God has called me to come along beside of Him and join in His work. Um, and so if I don't ever see any fruit, just to know that um, one day I'll hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I mean, that, that, that really is a, um, a joy that is incomparable. Um, I, I, I agree. My, I'd say my greatest joy uh, to bring it back down to a level that uh, dumb people like me can understand <laughs> I'm just honored to be a tool in his toolbox. When he goes over there and opens a drawer and there's a task to be completed to know that I may be the one he chooses. Just a great joy. All right, we got one more question left and then I'll be done with you. Looking back on everything, everything that's happening, I heard Chastity touch on it a minute ago, just the things that's happened in, in her and Kevin's lives. Everything you know right now, would you do it all again? Absolutely, yes. That's what made us who we are. Yeah, I just thank the Lord for the opportunity. Thank y'all very much. Y'all keep your seats. In honor of Kevin's 10 years, we're going at least at least 30 minutes over today. No, it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to do this for these people. You know, Kevin, I've been through six of them. You're number six. I was there through Brother Mac, you know, uh, Brother Bronner. Brother Ingram, Brother Nick, and then or Brother David, and then Nick, and then you. You know, this church has really, really grown as far as spiritual wise goes. Is what I'm saying, not by numbers, because we don't we don't compare numbers. It's the spirit, and, and you know, and it's been a blessing, a blessing to be under you. I have grown myself. I like to say that you really inspired me, brother. And what I've done, and, and, and it's came in, coming out in my life now. Uh, years ago, you know, me and you didn't always agree on anything. Don't always agree on anything, everything. I've told him a few times, ah, Kevin, I don't know, you know. But he's always proved me wrong, so that's a good thing. <laughs> that's a good thing. I, I guess that's why I realize it's where I'm at today, you know, because one of the biggest things that I fought here was the uh, small group business. I fought it. I fought it and told him, you ain't going to do nothing but tear this church apart. I am big in the small group, and I love it. And uh, so, yeah. But anyway, thank y'all for your services that you've given, what all you've done. And, you know, and this, like I said, it's a blessing to be up here to do this, and I'm honored to give this to you, give each one of you.
That's all. So, okay. Um, we got one more thing. I have this feels hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can't let you have it right now. All right. We've got a lot of signatures. I've missed a few people, and I've got to get there right. before you get it. But this is from one of your Sunday school classes. So. <laughs> uh, that's all I've got. Chris, would you come up? Uh, they asked me to close this out today. Uh, before we um, have our closing prayer, and we want to welcome uh, each one of you to come and join us this afternoon at a meal. Afterwards, uh, we ask that Brother Kevin and his family and other pastors, if they'd go first, so there's plenty of food out there. And so just like for each one of us to, to come out and fellowship. And um, But I want to, to read one scripture here. It's in Hebrews 13, 7. It says, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. And if we're a Christian, um, we owe much to those who have taught us and to been a mentor to, to each one of us. And behalf of our church, I, I would like to say thank you on behalf of our church for each one of you. Uh, each one of you has been a role in in everybody's uh, life in this church. Me personally, um, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for each one of you. So we thank you very much from the bottom of our hearts. So um, let's pray and uh, ask everybody if they'd come out and join us uh, in the CLC. Dear God, we thank you, God, for today. God, we thank you for, for this service. God, we thank you for, for you. God, we, we give you the honor and praise. God, we give you the honor and praise for our leaders of our church. God, we thank you for them. God, we thank you for their lives. We thank you for their family. God, we ask a special blessing on each one of them. God, we ask that you would just continue to put that hedge of protection around them. God, and I just... Uh, I thank you so much for our church, God, and I ask you to be with us. I pray that you would lead and guide and direct us, God, and I ask that you'd be with us today as we go and enjoy this meal. I pray you'd bless the ones who prepared it, and I pray that you'd just uh, help it to nourish our bodies and our bodies for your service. Forgive us, God, where we fail you. In your name we pray. Amen.